Please be seated. One of my favorite quotes about show business, being a grizzled show business veteran myself, comes from Hollywood producer Louis B. Mayer. It's one of the founders of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer Studios. And he was once asked by someone, the legend says, what is show business all about? They expected to hear something profound for them, and Louis said to them, well, it's about rear ends and seats. Whatever art was or beauty was really didn't matter as much as long as people liked it and bought tickets for it. And you know, if you've ever produced a play or performed in front of a live audience before or even worked in a church, there is really nothing worse than an empty house. Times when I've performed, I've, there have been more people in the cast than there have in the audience before. When you put yourself out there on a stage, you want people to like you. You want the approval of the public. And, and as in art, as in many things, we have to wrestle in our lives with the tension and an anxiety uh, that, that exists between this quest between being meaningful and being approved of or popular. I think out of our uh, a quest for our own survival and anxiety for our own survival, the church is even engaged in this tension today. You go to many churches around here, and, and I think we do this to some extent, uh, and you'll find churches are, are adopting the, the advertising and branding and communication techniques straight out of popular culture. And some of it is, is good outreach. But, you know, I think we have to question it sometimes because I think a good bit of it is out of our need to get a positive response from people, to have people like us more so they'll come on Sunday. And, you know, when we, when we practice religion to be liked, especially in the modern idiom, religion can become kind of a, a contest and a competition I've watched over the last 15 years as one church after another has praise bands on Sunday morning and one after another has PowerPoint screens on either side of the pulpit. Don't worry, I don't think that's happening here anytime soon. One church lets the preacher wear, wear hoodies and T-shirts and jeans with holes in them on Sunday morning and they all start doing it. Then parishioners and congregants become a community of religious consumers and the religious consumers that we're, we're vying for their attention and their approval and we're trying to get them in the seats of our churches. And the gospel today reminds us this is a very old story. People even in Jesus' day and in, in, the, uh, in Matthew's day were, were using their devotion and, and their worship, their religion, their acts of fasting and alms, giving and praying. They were using these things to enhance their own status in the culture and to seek approval from other people. And the religious people of Matthew's day were taking on some of the characteristics of Roman culture. They were trying to outdo one another in good deeds and public piety so they could enhance their honor and esteem to the general public. So their outward acts were yet another cause for division and competitiveness. 
Jesus expected more from the religious folks of his day. And we are offered by him a chance to do better. And you know, I don't mean to call the kettle black here because Episcopalians, Anglicans, sharing the same struggle. We hold our anachronistic, traditional, sometimes complicated liturgical worship to be a very precious thing. So, trust me, you get a bunch of Episcopalians together, and even we can sometimes pick teams over things like right one and right two, and incense and no incense. And you have, have you ever noticed when you go to an Episcopal church that's not here and they do something that's strikingly different, it really bothers you, I'll bet. Not only that, but on a, on a grander scale, the world, Worldwide Anglican Communion has, has tried to impose standards on the entire world that we are told we must all uh, either agree with or go along with, uh, lest we risk being cast aside and left out of the bonds of affection that hold us together. According to them, we either narrow our ministry or forsake part of the church that uh, we've chosen to minister to as our exercise is, is a part of exercising our call to follow the way of Jesus and our call to respect the dignity of all people or, or maybe we'll be asked to drop out of this community or at least its meetings and its gatherings. And if we succumb to the institutional and personal need for approval, Jesus reminds us, it can become a huge obstacle to our being able to practice an authentic faith. Instead of being in right relationship with one another and with God as the result of our religion, our quest for approval keeps us divided and in competition and devoid of faith. And then we look just like the rest of the world, don't we? We look like a world that's craving the dollars and the attention of people who are just merely consumers. So we do share some of the same problems as our forebears. They heard the same voices whispering to them that we do, that we hear when we are seen doing all the right things. These voices that tell us that when we do all the right things, God, and better yet, our neighbors, will think enough of us to admit us into their elite company or into their social strata and maybe even to some kind of dreamy afterlife. Jesus tells the religious folks of his day, and I think he's telling us too, that this is a false gospel. It's a gospel of pride and competitiveness that results in separation from one another and, more importantly, separation from God. He says people who practice this kind of religion get their reward, but their reward is only approval from people, not any kind of reward from God of heaven and certainly not any kind of faith. Lent, after all, is our time when we are asked to slow down isn't it? We can take a pause in our life and try practicing our spiritual life differently, practicing all kinds of things in our life differently, maybe even quietly. We can practice a quiet religion, Jesus tells us. 
And Jesus promises us that this quiet religion is more likely to be something that is of ultimate reward and of ultimate worth. And that quiet religion can lead to faith. And Jesus, notice, he says, whenever we fast, he doesn't say if we fast, he says, whenever we fast and we don't make a big deal out of it then, our fasting might even offer us in our day the heavenly reward of a new perspective on the world and and on, on our relationship to consumption and to food and to hospitality. Fasting might even be a time when we offer God the opportunity to fill the emptiness that we feel in our bodies. When we give with quiet generosity, perhaps it can then be a true offering and a sacrifice rather than our purchasing favor or social status. When we pray privately, then our prayers can become a time when we can be vulnerable and open to God and to one another. Humbly, quietly, and released from our addiction to anxiety and competition and approval, then our religion can move us towards a right relationship with one another and with God. Jesus, who is our great high priest, invites all of us to lives of integrity and oneness with his purposes, oneness with God, healing for a broken world, and a deeper love for one another and for humanity and for God's world through religion that can inspire faith that is authentic, life-giving, and liberating. Amen.